Hey everybody, welcome to the Node. We've made it to episode 10, which I think means we're getting pretty serious. I do appreciate all of your patience with the last few episodes uh, coming out a little more slowly. I do expect them to continue to take about a month each. Um, this has a lot to do with the fact that I have to travel for work and uh, yeah, with the move down to Salt Lake and wanting to do a lot of other hobbies, there's just not a whole lot of time left for podcasting, although the Node is a priority of mine and I expect to keep putting episodes out around once a month and as I start to find more time and space for it, hopefully more. Um, what you're listening to in the background right now is rainfall and cars in rural Wisconsin. Um, that's another thing I wanted to throw out there is I really appreciate your um, I think it might be patience with the noise, although, you know, I like to think that all the little ambiance we get here and there is maybe adds character to the podcast. I don't have a, an official studio, so this podcast has been very much uh, on the move with live recordings here and there, a lot of Zoom recordings and phone recordings. As you might might have been able to put together but I just thought I'd thank you for your patience with that and thanks for sticking around. Our episode today is an interview with my friend Gillian Ritchie. Um, I was reflecting on this and thinking how lucky I am to be able to interview my friends for this podcast um, and provide such rich content. I feel lucky that my friends and the guests on this podcast are people that we can learn from because of the experience and the knowledge that they've gathered as they've gone through life. And thinking about this, especially in regards to this podcast with Gil, it's a great time to reflect upon what we talked about a little bit in the introductory episode to the Node. And that is really that the Node, the concept of the Node, the Node podcast, it's simply to express something that we can do in everyday life, that any of us can do in everyday life. And that is finding those people that really have found a way to approach life and address the questions of life in a really honest and thoughtful manner and I, I think this is really apparent in this interview I think this is really apparent in this interview with Gil um, spirituality and dare we say religion is something that is very traditional um, and I don't think it's very often that many of us get the chance to talk or think about it outside the context of the narratives that are provided for us already, whether that's culturally um, or from religious institutions themselves. And so, yeah, I think Gil provides a perfect illustration of what the Node means in her ability to take us through her journey of spirituality and to show us how she has 
come to find meaning and to find spirituality herself in the face of all of this information that's out there that tells us how we should or shouldn't do uh, a certain thing in this case spirituality religion I could go on about this and I think we get into sufficient depth in the podcast so I will I will let us move on to that in the podcast I do mention uh, another podcast Martyr Made by Daryl Cooper I cannot recommend this podcast more if you're into history podcasts um, I, I will throw a link in the uh, episode description also in the description I'll provide links to Gil's social media. Without further ado, here is Gillian Ritchie. Remembrance slips through my fingers and around my neck when I lose sight of it. Cigarettes fall through my fingers but the smell never goes too far away. My left hand holds, my left hand holds, and the night is never here to stay. Sirens draw out the fear in the suffocating night. Just a couple drops of light on the sidewalk. I am content to pick my scabs on the roof. They never want to be mine, God. Still a couple circles on the sidewalk. I talk, talk, and the words take root, lavender shoots poking out of the sidewalk. Nice. Welcome to the podcast, Gil. Thank you. It is good to be here. Good. Glad to have you. Um, hmm. I'm just thinking about you sitting on a sidewalk and having an existential crisis when I hear this poem. Yeah, that sounds like my life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I wrote this a couple years ago, actually. Um, I don't know if you were ever at my apartment on, it was downtown. Yeah, you were there a couple times, I think. I think so. You lived with uh, Adam. No, I lived by myself. Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, the, the small studio? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, living downtown was cool. I really liked it. And there's a lot of interesting people that pass by and it's a it's sort of like a hub of energy I think I kind of miss living downtown mm-hmm. actually yeah is that so is this poem does that how does that come about how did it come about um, honestly I was just going through all of my old poetry yesterday and I found this one and realized that I liked it mm-hmm. um, but I don't remember writing it oh really uh, yeah, from like the words in it, I can picture myself writing it. Um, and I think I was probably on the porch of that house that had the studio apartment in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't remember um, writing it. It was either there or in that house that I lived in downtown before I knew you. It's it sort of got that grungy feel that I definitely associate with living in both of those places, because um, you sort of have to embrace the grunge a little bit to live downtown. I think. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I've always thought about like phases of your life, and like how you look back on them, and it's like this feeling of nostalgia, 
but it also comes with like a collection of memories. I think that's a good observation. And it's fun. It's fun that you can pick this poem out from that feeling, but you don't actually have the memory of writing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you know actually that smell is like the number one sense that is associated with memory? I don't have a citation for that, but I remember reading it and thinking it was cool. Yeah, I've heard I've heard stuff like that connecting it to nostalgia specifically. You think of like the smell of pie, or um, I I have like a really good nose for people's laundry scents, mm -hmm. like for the detergent that they use. Like once in a while, I'll get a sniff of detergent, and I'm like, whoa, that's the same detergent my eighth grade boyfriend used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I just bought um a table today and bringing it in my house i was like oh i don't know it just smells like people's bleach or whatever chemicals they want to use the house to like mask their their smell and this was obviously like a house with kids in it so multiple multiple smells did you smell the smell underneath or was it just the chemical smell I could kind of smell the smell underneath, and it did remind me of a friend of mine, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, don't say who. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's hard because I think with a lot of my poetry, looking at it, um, I read it to be, like, kind of optimistic and <laughs> hopeful. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like, sometimes I have to step out of my own shoes and read it from what I think other people's perspectives would be, like, you know, what my perspective would be as an objective, like, critical reader just, like, browsing on the internet. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's depressing. Like, that's really dark. Um, <laughs> do so you want, it's... Do you want to read what? it again? Sure. Yeah, I can try. Um, I should say I, like, I am a spoken word poet. Mm -hmm. I don't... You've heard me a few times. Um, and like when I'm gearing up to read poetry in front of people, I usually recite it to myself out loud, like 30 times Really. Um, and re-edit it and just try to like find the right like rhythm and everything. Cause that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't really do that with this, so it's not my best work, but here goes. <laughs> Remembrance slips through my fingers and around my neck when I lose sight of it. Cigarettes fall through my fingers, but the smell never goes too far away. My left hand holds, my left hand holds, and the night is never here to stay. Sirens draw out the fear in the suffocating night, just a couple drops of light on the sidewalk. I am content to pick my scabs on the roof. They never want to be mine, God. Still, a couple of circles on the sidewalk. I talk, talk, and the words take root. Lavender shoots poking out the sidewalk. It does have a really beautiful imagery, um, especially at the end. And I, I can see the grain of optim optimism at the end, like your words taking root. And that could be optimistic, I suppose. But it does, like, when you read it, I get like a, clear picture of like this person like remembrance is coming back and it's like choking you and like there's the cigarettes and like the being outside and like yeah suffocating in the night i guess 
I wonder, like, do you write poetry about yourself or do you, like, how does this come about? Like, where, where is the thing that you're putting into words before it's words? Where's the thing that you're putting into words before it's words? I like that sentence. <laughs> um, so I have a very, I love how open-ended that sentence is. It's like, what are you going to say next? I have a very furry monster under my bed that tells me all of the poems I'm going to write. Um, I think like I, so Steven, listen, um, I have this thing called pure OCD that I just sort of realized recently, um, which is, uh, it's like, it's a lot like OCD. I mean, it is OCD. Um, but instead of like doing rituals, like shutting off, you know, um, light switches and, and stuff like that. Um, I actually do it in my head. So like I have these, um, the thing that most stands out for pure OCD um, for diagnosing it is intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. So um, almost in a schizophrenic way of like these like really, you know, bad, like disturbing thoughts coming into your head all the time. Um, and then I like have these rituals that I use to like these mental um, gymnastics almost to um, get through them and uh, like ground myself and bring myself back to reality and to like, you know, just handle it in a way that affects me the least amount possible. Hmm. And so I think like coming to that realization and like reading other people's experiences has been a really big part of my process of realizing that like a lot of this dark stuff that I talk about in my poetry, because if you read my poetry in high school, like it's super dark. It's like way darker than the stuff that I write now, <laughs> um, which is saying something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of it is like, the. I think a big reason why I think my poetry is more hopeful than it necessarily seems on the surface is because it's, like these tricks that I have, like these um, ways of navigating and orienting myself mentally to um, get through like the really dark thoughts, um, like the really bad thoughts that, that come up that, you know, aren't mine, but I still need to like deal with them. Um, and so like even the first couple lines of this poem, like remembrance slips through my fingers and around my neck when I lose sight of it. Um, for me, that's actually like grounding in a way because it's like reminding myself that like when I forget to like be intentional and positive with my thoughts, like it it really could kill me, you know, like um, not physically, but it could be bad um, and it does sort of choke me. And so it's just that like, almost like nudge of like that people talk about in mindfulness, maybe like harsh, a harsh nudge, but a nudge back to like remembering, like being present um, and sort of like having a centered orientation in that way. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if like, 
I'm sorry is the right way to respond, but I don't think it is. I guess I'm glad that you've figured out that that's a thing for you. And while you were saying that, yeah, when you brought up mindfulness, that made a lot of sense to me. Um, it almost sounds like you're talking about like these, like these webs, like these spirals away from like this centered place that you get caught back, you get caught up in and you like almost have to crawl your way back. I think that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah. So I guess that kind of just, that brings me into, I think one of the really valuable things that you bring as a human being and like one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast is because um, you seem to be someone who's constantly like experimenting with these different systems of like value or ideology to like find a way of being that is going to allow you to be like the most harmonious with the world around you. And like hearing hearing this poem and then hearing your description of like what that means for you, I think really does illustrate in a big way. Like, I mean, the reason that it's important, it seems like to have those systems of centering yourself, essentially, like maybe we can just break it down to that um, is because it's so possible to get lost in these really dark places. And so... Would you talk just a little bit about your journey with that, like finding meaning throughout your life, wherever you want to start with that? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question to match a, a big conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways I think that all of us can find meaning. Um, and I agree with everything that you said, too, I should say. And... I mean, the first thing that pops into my head for some weird reason is the the book um, that Viktor Frankl wrote, the, um, what is it, Man's Search for Meaning. And I think, like, that's, that's something that um, has a lot of, like, weight for me, just that idea that he has of, like, suffering. I even wrote it in one of my poems, I think, that I included in the ones that I um, might read, but that suffering is meaning and meaning is suffering. Um, and like, to me, that's like, yeah, it is very dark and it, it does have like a little too much of a nod to Catholicism. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, you know, when you talk to people and you're really real with people, there's this common theme, I think of like, you learn the best when you are under the most pressure and um when you like are sad and when you hurt and when you're angry um like those are very real emotions that um that mean something because it's not just like i'm pissed for no reason like and that's one of the things i like to bring up with our with the kids at the group home too is like um you know you're not mad just for no reason or like, you know, because I did something stupid, but someone, you know, did something to you years ago that made it so that you would feel this way now when it seems like an elephant reaction to something very small. It's actually something that holds a lot of meaning for you because 
that was um that points you in the direction of like where your real hurt is if that makes sense um and also like you know i think that ability to abstract um our meaning and like abstract in general from the suffering at hand like Viktor Frankl did in the Holocaust um, is so I think really relevant um, because we have so much suffering going on right now and I mean like yes I suffer with what I um, you know go through uh, on a regular basis and I have to say like finding out what it was and finding out that other people have it was such a relief because I was just reading these things that was like, like basically stating my daily thought processes and gymnastics back at me. I was like, holy shit, other people go through this. Like, that's so cool. Um, but I think like everyone has their own kind of suffering, um, whether it be like just the monotony of life or like the impending doom of the world and climate change and politics and like everything. And, um, if you can extrapolate some sort of higher meaning from that and sort of jump over it in that way, I think is a lot of what meaning does for people is it gives you this um, motivation or um, almost like a velocity to like get past the problem when it seems uh, when it seems like just black and white, it's like this ability to make it into a more complex thing that you can then take apart. Mm -hmm. um, it like really helps people to solve those problems and and sort of like uh, disconnect from it in a way that is really helpful without being like avoidant or escapist. Yeah, um, I totally agree with all of that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I. I like the idea of like meaning being kind of the light at the end of the tunnel or like the reason to not be pissed all the time or the reason to like <laughs> not be sad all the time. But I mean, I feel like for a lot of people, it's it's easy to get caught up in those places, like feeling feeling like justified in their sadness or justified in their anger or like in their depression and sitting in those places for a long period of time and yeah, it makes sense that you would, like, you almost do have to, like, construct a meaning. And if you don't, if it's not something that you do, well, it's it seems like something you do by gathering information. And whether you do that through, like, creative ex creative pursuits or through, like, seeing what other people have done um, to get out of that place, it seems like finding that meaning is very much, like, gathering enough information to like push you over the edge of hesitation to be like okay like I actually do want to feel loved and I don't want to just be pissed and sad all the time yeah that's really interesting I think that is a really good point that I didn't actually think of um where I associate what you're saying with like um the idea of educating yourself will always like make your life better will always improve your life quality um and i think 
Yeah, I think like a big part of what you're talking about is um, what I was saying about like turning something black and white into like a more complex thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget whose model this was, but in school I learned about uh, this model where there was like type one thinkers and type six thinkers, and then like everything in between. And the type one thinkers were just like straight up black and white, you know, um, abortion is bad, uh, blah, 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 you know, no ifs, ands, or buts, no situational, contextual um, complexities. Whereas like the type six thinker would be like, hold up, everything is based on context. Um, There's almost no need for like these vague general statements um, except for marketing purposes, really, because, I mean, it, it's all, it all boils down to, like, these very specific situations, um, and, like, you know, trying to say otherwise actually is almost akin to, like, lying in some ways, because um, it it is making the issue seem less complex than it really is and i like i kind of have strayed away from that model a little bit just because someone said to me once like oh but you know just because you're a complex thinker doesn't make you better than other people it's like yeah of course not um and we've talked about that a little bit before um but i think like there is a really there's a really like important power to being able to see and like value all the details of something um and see how that like colors the whole picture i guess yeah yeah and and like on the other side there's absolutely value to value to being able to make like snap decisions and like yeah weigh things quickly and move towards an end result um yeah it's funny while you were saying that i was having the thought of like you can re- you could maybe test that by seeing how long uh, somebody takes at the grocery store to pick bananas or something like that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, I you know there's actually like um, also a paper that was written. Also, I don't have citations for, um, <laughs> but I know it's out there um, that talked about analytical versus intuitive thinkers. And how, so essentially they correlated that like analytic thinkers were more progressive usually politically um, and intuitive thinkers were more uh, Republican politically um, or conservative. And I thought that was really interesting. And of course my dad like read this Facebook post that I made about it and he was like, oh, you're saying Republicans are dumb. I was like, no, that's not what I was trying to say. Because um, when you read the paper, it's really like both of these um, both of these ways of thinking have a lot of value to them. Um, and like intuitive thinkers are very good at making like life or death, like um, snap decisions. Um, and the way that they think they're, they're putting, you know, they have these like bigger goals in mind and every piece of information that they're receiving they're like putting they're funneling into very quickly one of these like major goals one of these bigger goals um or bigger frameworks or values um and then analytic thinkers are more so just taking everything at 
an equal, um, you know, place and just sort of uh, taking them all individually and feeding them into like this bigger conceptual framework, but there's no like, or there's less of like a junction between like their drives and the, and the way that they are filtering information, I guess, which I just thought was really interesting because they both have like pros and cons, obviously, um, and could work really well together if they figure out how to do it. Yeah. Just like running with this, it kind of makes me think of like, like the different lifestyles people choose. Like you often see people, and this is totally just like my observations and like stereotypes in a way, but you totally see like artistic people, you know, like taking a longer time to like figure out what they want to do with their life and like going through and trying to experience lots of different things. And then you see like on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that like know what they want to do and like use that to like get where they want to be. And I almost wonder if like the equalizer between them is like the reality of life, because if you're that artistic person, like the facts are you're going to start to age out of the range where you're a lot like you are physically able to have children or like, um, are physically able to do many of the things. And so you are going to have to like make decisions that will suit you, um, for the long term and may not be like as accurate as they could possibly be. And on the other end, if you're like, if you're somebody who has like this black and white view of the world, well, what happens when you have like a kid who is the complete opposite or like you can't interpret their actions and yeah. So that's an, that's a really interesting thought. So Gil, we don't know all that much about you. Um, and so I'm wondering if you would be willing to share with us more about your, I guess, your journey th with spirituality, like starting from a young age. As far as I understand, you grew up Catholic. Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. Um there are definitely <laughs> some things that come to mind uh, from my life that I don't share too often, but I like sharing them because I think they're interesting. Um, and also because, like, I think um, people are, I'll, I'll just say this, I think people are very spiritual um, at their core. Like, you know, it varies from person to person, but I think that overall as a species we are very spiritual and I want to encourage people to uh, pursue that and to acknowledge that and to foster that in their own lives um, and like figure out a way to do that in a way that feels good um, in a way that feels you know not shameful or um, or wrong I guess um, so I mean yeah I grew up Catholic uh, but it was in a family where um, we were like, you know, Easter Christmas Catholics, like that's when we would go to church. And my, my mom liked church, but um, she wouldn't necessarily have gone of her own volition, I don't think. Um, my dad was very much like the, hey, we got to go, it's Christmas, we got to go, it's Christmas. Um, and like, on that, in that tone, still, he would be like, 
it's just kind of a paradox to me because we didn't go regularly, but he was so staunch about being Catholic and doing the things that fundamentally made you a Catholic, like getting baptized, getting confirmed. Um, and I've had a lot of, um, I don't know what the word is for this, uh, sort of conflict in my spiritual life from a pretty young age, um, especially because, 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 because uh, my dad, you know, so I don't know if you are familiar with what getting confirmed means in the Catholic church, but it's like when you turn, every church is different, but I think for the most part, Catholicism, it's around 15 or 16, um, you are supposed to have taken Sunday school for the last two years. And then um, in that time, you're learning all these things about the church, um, all the core things that a kid should know um, that makes up the church and our belief system. And then when the time comes, you're supposed to uh, write a letter saying that you want to be confirmed and then um, you get accepted as everyone does. And then um, you stand up in front of the whole congregation and you say, you know, this is my name and I believe in God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and like everything that um, belongs in the, uh, you know, core teachings of the church. And I want to be part of the church now that I have entered this age where I can speak for myself, um, I want to do that. And it was a really weird paradox for me because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and my dad was like, you have to do it. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, you know, we don't even go to church that often. I think you're being a hypocrite, blah, blah, blah. I was a teenager. So it was like, you know, very much us butting heads. And um, essentially it boiled down to like, you have to do it or else, whatever. And um, so I like wrote this very sarcastic letter, which I still have. I think it's pretty funny where I was like, I don't, you know, I guess I kind of want to be part of confirm confirmation. Um, but also it was like a little spiteful. Mm-hmm. Um, but they accepted me and I, you know, went in front of the congregation and, and got confirmed. Um, and that was actually right after in my personal life, I, um, had dated someone for the, you know, for sort of the first time. Um, and their parents were Christian. I don't know what kind of Christian they were, but, um, basically I was told that I wasn't good enough for that person. And I was like, you know, um, not Christian enough, I guess, uh, in all the ways you can imagine. And uh, it was very heartbreaking for me. And that was actually when I started really writing poetry and getting serious about it. I think um, in some ways like that, you know, horrible time in my life uh, where I felt really worthless and, um, and kind of, you know, depressed and, and suicidal um, was when I was like, well, I have to write about it. Like I have to write about it. I remember one night I sat down on my computer um, as a teenager and I just 
wrote this epic, like six page long fucking rip my heart out and throw it on the ground and fucking spit on it and, you know, bury it and shit poem. Um, <laughs> this is a very dramatic. Um, it was very uh, Edgar Allan Poe-esque. Um, and I do not want to read it anytime soon. <laughs> um, but that was like, that was the start for me. Um, and, you know, from there I became agnostic um, because I was like, well, fuck religion. You know, all it does is tell me what to do and tell me I'm not good enough um, and try to force me into like the, these boxes. And, um, and then, you know, I had a little stint where I became very religious because I was like part of this church group and, um, and everyone was far more open and vulnerable than I had ever seen anyone in my life. And it was like these kids that I had known because they'd been in my class my whole life. And they were like telling their stories about this gnarly shit that they had done and that they wanted like redemption from. And I mean, that's just such a crazy experience to have as a kid it's like all these people that are like clicky and like kind of mean sometimes and you don't know them very well and you don't really want to know them very well um suddenly you're like best friends and you're like pouring your heart out to each other in front of an audience of other kids it's just really um it's really impactful but it's almost impactful in this way where you don't know what to do with it um, because then you leave and it's like, it still sort of stays with you, but like, you also have to go back to the real world of like, <clears throat> excuse me, of like clickiness and, um, and all that. And so, I mean, my high school years were really hard, um, but they were also really, uh, shaping in the way that I was like, um, exposed to a lot of these really intense experiences that were very spiritual in nature. Um, and I also took them very spiritually. And then I went to college uh, from New Jersey to Montana and um, got involved with this group of girls that are still good friends of mine um, that <laughs> we call the witches. And um, just like, you know, interested in like, you know, new age spirituality and um i guess manifestation and that sort of thing um definitely trying to be good people um but also like getting stoned all the time and um you know sort of overlapping with these circles that were not the best <laughs> to say the least um but, you know, then from there, I got, like, really into spirituality, um, and I lived in this place that we dubbed the God House, and uh, the purpose of it, and I was told about it by my freshman roommate, um, who was Catholic, and she knew that I was into New Age spirituality, and so she invited me to be part of this house, and um, it was her and me. And then two boys, one of which was Jewish and the other one was Muslim. And we were just such a weird hodgepodge of spirituality. Um, like looking back at that time, it's like, whoa, what the fuck were we doing? Because 
we had a lot of intense experiences and a lot of intense conversations that I don't think we were even prepared for in the slightest. Um, and I mean, it, it was very idealistic and optimistic for us to think that that house would go anywhere. Um, and I got a lot out of it and I think other folks did too, but it was like a mess. What do you mean um, go anywhere? Like where was it headed? So like the whole point of it was that we were trying to foster interreligious conversation. Um, and we were gonna try to be one of those houses that was associated with the university um, that would like have people over every week and host like interreligious events and um, and be like a hub for spirituality, I guess. Um, but the thing with spirituality is that like people have been at war with each other over spirituality and religion since the beginning of time. And, you know, as much as like I, you know, foster love and acceptance and, um, and I know that all of the people who were in that house do too, um, it's really hard to be all up in other people's business all the time because you're living with them and also you have very starkly different religions that are taking up your time taking up your energy like you you sort of embody it in a way um because you are letting this you know vast like structured energy take over your life um and and let it do things through you and then you know all three other people are doing that in a completely different way in the same small college house and i mean it, it was sort of a failure from the from the get-go just because we um realized after we had all moved in together that they didn't the university didn't finance or support those sort of houses anymore so we were like, well, shit, we can't even do this. Hmm. Um, and then, I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, people's feelings got hurt. Um, and there was a fair amount of conflict. And we sort of all went our separate ways after the end of the year. Um, and then I ended up living with and being in a relationship with the person who was Jewish in that house. Um, and that was intense because, I mean, this whole time I was still very insecure in my spirituality. I was like, am I Catholic? Am I new age? I don't really know. Should I be Jewish? Maybe. Um, like <laughs> I'm very much a per like a go with the flow person. So I'm like, yeah, like I could see myself being Jewish, you know, mm -hmm. I could see myself being Catholic. Um, and I could, I could see myself being new age, but I was the only one supporting the new age spirituality really in my life at that time. Um, because I was working so much and all my other time was spent at the house. Um, and so I guess it was a really like looking back on those couple of years, it was a really big, um, struggle and it was very hard for me to embrace the fact that like this new age spirituality that I am pursuing 
is very like by nature um scattered and uh not structured and very personal and subjective and it's it's difficult to to engage with conversations about spirituality from people who come from these traditions and adhere to these traditions that are very structured and very much supported and like have these whole you know organizations or institutions that their whole you know existence is to support you yeah that sounds it does sound like a lot of like different realizations and you're also like from the get-go when you're reflecting on when you're reflecting on confirmation and like at that time you're like it sounds like you're saying I don't really want to be part of something that I don't really feel that committed to and like from then on it seems like you've been struggling with like I mean you're learning about other people's attitudes and their religions and like how their religion affects you like through that relationship um, ending because you weren't air quotes Christian enough. And I just, it, it interests me because it, it seems like you have a gut feeling or like an idea of what you're looking for and you're just not finding it in any of those places. And I wonder if you would be willing to share what you think that is. Yeah. Like what, um, like that kernel in me is sort of, yeah. So, um, as you know, I should just say like psychedelics have a part in all of this. And I think they have a part in my own spiritual journey, um, in multiple ways, like good and bad. And, um, and we can talk about that more later if you want, but, um, so the, there are some spiritual truths that I have found to hold weight more and more as I've gotten older. Um, so like some really cool stuff. And this is kind of what I was alluding to when I was saying like, I want these stories to help encourage people to like find their spirituality within themselves. Because um, so like, for example, I have this weird memory from when I was really young um and it's more of like a vision and a a very intense feeling than a straight up memory in the sense that I usually hear that word used um and it's just and I can I can sort of conjure it in myself when I want to and when I'm focusing um and it's this feeling of like being very small like the the smallest like molecule and speck in the entire universe, um, just being the smallest fucking thing you can imagine. Like we get into quantum mechanics, like like that small, um, and then at the same time being able to recognize that I am also like massive. I am so big that I am like, you know, maybe not the whole universe, but I am like filling up the container of the universe. I am so big. Um, and just that feeling of like that paradox of being able to be that really, really small thing and that really massive thing at the same time. 
and like that that is somehow a part of like this experience of being human um really i you know i just it was kind of a cool it's one of those things that like i experienced as a kid and i i feel like i almost played with it in a way if that makes sense like mm -hmm you know, you're a kid, you're doing kid things, and, like, you're just laying there, and I was like, wow, I'm, I can be really big, or I can be really small, and that's kind of cool, like, I can just sit in these feelings, and, like, almost, um, just wait around in them, and, uh, as I've gotten older, I'm like, well, that's a really cool experience, because, I mean, one of the things that really resonates with me that I picked up from Eastern spirituality from, uh, I think it's Hinduism specifically, um, is the idea of like Atman and Brahman. Um, and so like that idea is, uh, Atman is like you, it's the individual soul of the person. And then Brahman is, and it's subjective, I should say also. And then Brahman is like this bigger, like the big other, like other with a capital O. Um, it's like the opposite of Atman. And it is like the way we sort of conceptualize God in Western spirituality. Um, it's just so fucking big. It's like everything. It's the whole universe. And that idea is that those two things are intimately linked. They are in essence the same thing and so i mean to me that just i was like oh yeah that makes sense because that's like exactly what i've been feeling this whole time of like yeah like i am this very small thing that is meaningless almost meaningless um in comparison to the vast expanse of the universe and other people's feelings and everything going on even just in the world um but you know, there is this big, huge fabric of the universe that takes up everything. And like, in essence, we are the same thing. And like, and I guess just like, how do you justify that? That's a really cool observation that you had as a child. And it reminds me right away of like the feeling of expansiveness you get, um, when practicing like mindfulness or meditation and just like, like there's, ex there's this experience to be had that like everything you are conscious of is you. And it's like this great and like unhindered open space of consciousness. And on the other hand, like, yeah, there's the ego and there's like this small, the self is this small, like contained, simplified version of whatever is out there. And also when you compare that to the rest of the world, like one life, even though we are so complex in the grand scheme of things is very small. I also wanted to like, I also wanted to comment on the fact that like you are experimenting with this as a kid. And I think it's I've heard of other people that have had like really um, eye-opening experiences that they've like followed through on at really young ages and just like having those sorts of experiences. And it, and it makes total sense to me because like as a child, you are 
you have like a very fundamentally different outlook on what the world is and like you are gathering information like building the map of what things are and it's not until you're like five or six until you start to realize like or at least communicate that other people have like intentions and motivations and their own thoughts and emotions and um yeah you're just like developing this self and this ego and all this stuff so yeah it makes a lot of sense and i think it's really interesting um what do you think about that experience being related to that of what you might be uh what one might experience in a mindfulness or like yeah buddhist meditation practice yeah so um i do have one shout out i can actually make to a person who does spiritual stuff in missoula his name is glenn tusignant and uh he told me and it really stuck with me um that like we are the soup and we are the carrot (laughs) um and i i think i love it because it's so simple it's like you know you are just a carrot in this big old soup full of other carrots and other shit of all different kinds um and like it's the whole you know soup and but like you are also the soup because you are a part of the soup you are also the soup mm-hmm. and i think that's like a really comforting thing spiritually cuz um i think like and i'll tie this back into mindfulness in a second but like i think when you get really deep into spirituality it gets really scary um sometimes and i think just remembering that like you can intimately trust that there is this like larger thing that encompasses all of it that you are like intimately linked with um and that like knows you and listens to you um is like really powerful and it helps to ride those waves which are really scary um and i think like a lot of religions point to that like that's why people pray you know um is to is to keep up that constant conversation with that bigger entity um i guess like so mindfulness is really cool because uh it is just a tool in the tool belt is the way that i think of it like i should probably meditate more often but um mindfulness mindfulness is this thing that you can like (laughs) practice all the time like you don't have to have a meditation cushion you don't have to have anything um it's just about like remembering the core tenets of mindfulness and then trying to apply that in like as many moments as possible um especially like when thoughts get scary and things get scary um i i associate that mindfulness especially with like the zen idea um of like there are ups and there are downs but you can't necessarily judge it's not even helpful to judge them as good or bad Mm -hmm. um it's far more helpful to like orient yourself in that neutral position and sort of just watch it happen 
Um, and you can like come back to it later and, you know, extrapolate later, but like um, being able to just watch it and not like take it in, in a way that makes it really scary. Yeah. Um, and I think like, I don't know. The thing that comes to mind, honestly, with your question is that like when I first started meditating and doing mindfulness, um, really like regularly and with like some intensity, uh, I had a lot of really crazy spiritual realizations and I was like, oh man, this is what it's all about. Like, I got to keep doing this. Um, and it is really interesting and helpful in a lot of ways to have those realizations. But, you know, one thing that I've read about that sort of, um, you know, mindfulness and meditation is that um, in some perspectives, like especially in Eastern spirituality, it's not about the realizations. Like the realizations are part of that up and down that you're just supposed to kind of ignore. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, when you really think about it, there's a whole host of reasons. Like they can lend themselves to egoism. Um, they can, you know, take you down paths that uh, you're so excited about that you don't realize where they're really going um, until maybe you've made a mistake. And um, I think like getting back to that bigger picture of like it's all just the same it's all just breathing um and watching your breathing is like really profound um and it's something that has stuck with me over the years of all the realizations that like you know the universe is kind of breathing it kind of like there's this cycle and everything that we do like macrocosm microcosm there's just this like essential sort of wave that happens um, and that like comes back and then goes out just like your breath. And like, there's a reason why people use the breath to ground their practice. And I think it's because it's like one of the most sacred things about our existence is that ability to breathe just like, you know, the patterns of the patterns in the universe that are also doing the same thing. Yeah. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there's this book zen mind beginner's mind um whereas like that's the source of most of my knowledge of zen um we did um dao of poo that's a good one the dao of poo um and one of the ideas they talk about in there is we touched on this a little before like you're the carrot in the soup but they touch on how like sitting with the like ever changing fact of reality is like that's basically what you're trying to do like you're sitting there and you like everything dies everything is in chaos and like there's this constant like ebb and flow of i don't know spring summer like things die in the winter they come back like people you love die like weird things happen globally and politically etc cetera, etc cetera. but like the fact of it is this this is the ebb and flow. And one thing that's really strange to me is that 
like you described it as a neutral, the neutral experience of like sitting back in consciousness and like accepting this. Um, but I think it's interesting to me that like that quote neutral experience often is a very pleasant experience, like a euphoric experience. And I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, I think that where my mind first goes um, with that is attachments. Um, And I I think about attachments a lot and bring them up a lot in my poetry because it's like, it's this thing that you just have to deal with that everyone has to deal with all the time because we're all people in the world which our world is very materialistic and mm-hmm. um and lends itself to superficiality but also like lends itself to like passions and like passions aren't necessarily necessarily a bad thing um a lot of times like obviously they're a really good thing but um i think when you get lost in your attachments and you you know like people talk about um seeing red you know and i kind of picture of it picture it as like you know you being so caught up in your cause um which I have done so many times I can't even tell you um but that you are losing the ability to uh connect back to the bigger picture Mm -hmm. and um you know it's so helpful in so many situations to be able to get back to that bigger picture Um, I mean, in relationships, like in the workplace, um, and all of that, but I think that neutral space is where you have detached enough from the passions to where you are realizing that you don't need them to exist. And I think a lot of us, especially those of us who are like identity or action driven, which, you know, again, aren't bad things, but they lend themselves to us associating our existence with those attachments, which is, you know, hard because like, what about when you lose them? What about when shit happens and and bad things happen and, um, and you're not in the place suddenly that you were before, and then you are forced to accept that those attachments aren't part of your existence and not things that you can, you know, take for granted, um, and like build into your identity. And, um, I think like that is the place that we're supposed to keep coming back to, um, in spirituality is that, that place of remembering, like, you know, people talk about gratefulness. I think it kind of stems from this too, of like, um, realizing that all you've have you've been given and you're lucky to have them and you're blessed to have them um and at the same time like the opposite side of the coin is that they could be taken away at any moment and like you have to greet that moment of losing that thing in the same way that you would greet the gaining of it um you know or else you're judging it you're automatically you know this is built into our societal expectations of judging things as good or bad like Mm -hmm. you lose your job like oh fuck that sucks i'm sorry you know but it's like hey you know um it might be that you needed to lose your job in order for this better thing to come around 
Have you ever heard um, that Chinese, or I think it's Chinese, um, but some sort of Asian um, parable hmm. where um, it's like this guy has a son and he has a horse and he has a farm and um, these series of events happen where, and I'm going to tell this really poorly probably, but the guy like, um, you know, his horse breaks its leg and they're like, oh, I'm, all his neighbors are like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like that sucks. And he's like, oh, good or bad, you know, we'll see. Um, and sort of just keeps his head down. Essentially, it's just like, you know, these, these things that seem really bad happen. Um, and all his neighbors are like, oh, oh, that's so bad. And he's like, I don't care, um, good or bad, like, we'll see. And then like the, the best one at the end of the parable, I think, is that his son breaks his leg and everyone's like, oh, that sucks. You know, your only son, your only working hand on the farm. And he's like, still like good, bad, we'll see. And then and a war starts and they're like, all the able-bodied young men must join as a soldier, but his leg's broken, so he can't. So it's like a blessing. Um, but still he's like, oh, good, bad, we'll see. And it's just that like continuation of like, almost sort of like don't count your blessings um, or count your chickens before they hatch, I guess. Yeah. Like you never really know where things are going to go and putting an emotional investment into things that you have no control over mm -hmm. um, is wise. <laughs> I think that was really beautifully said. I uh, like, especially your illustration of um, maybe we'll call it spirituality here just being like this place that you step back into to realize that like your humanity and your mortal existence and your like in your bio body is like not it like there's so much more and like you quotations like in the sense of like this consciousness that is in the universe like energy whatever iteration of evolution blah 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 like that is so temporary in regards to like the miraculous and like expansive nature of what is like base reality, which we can hardly even experience with our like very limited ability to experience the world. I mean, we see, smell, hear, taste, touch, and like in a very limited range of things that allows us to like operate here on earth. Um, and just like checking out of that and realizing like, yeah, your next paycheck or like your dog's vet bill is not going to be like the end all be all. And uh, yeah, I really so I really like the illustration of like what what that is that you're gaining from a spiritual practice. And then I also like spirituality is like such a hard thing to talk about, right? Like so many people don't want to talk about it. So many people like can't talk about it because they're like not allowed to because of whatever spiritual practice they're assigned at birth. Um, and, uh, and I think for good reason too, I just finished listening to our six part podcast by Daryl Cooper, who does the martyr made cod 
podcast. Highly recommend um, on Jim Jones and the People's Temple. And he like documents Jim Jones coming to be from this place where like he's a child, then he's like this kind of radical teenager. And then he becomes like a pastor and a civil rights leader and like this really effective person at fighting for like minorities in his time and obviously channeling something that like people are picking up and like really benefiting from. He's like pulling people off the street, like housing all these people. And in the end, it like becomes this horrible fucked up thing where like, I can't, I don't remember how many people die, but like, I think it's thousands. We could check this die because of mass suicide because they're, cult leader essentially told them to. And I mean, that's just one example of many, many tragic and fucked up things that have been done in the name of religion. Um, and I, I think it's like really important to tackle the question of like, okay, yeah, religion and spirituality, you're obviously like tapping into something that can help you um, experience the world as this finite human being and like hopefully what it can provide for you is some sort of like perspective on where you're going or like what your meaning is or like what the greater meaning is um but it also hopefully won't like like you were saying uh earlier recounting like looking at what these different ideologies were doing like playing themselves out in the form of like people right um in the god house and uh yeah yeah i guess i just want to open that up to the discussion of like it can obviously religion and spirituality and many other things can obviously be very maladaptive um and what do you i don't know like what's your truth gauge here like what are you looking <laughs> for <laughs> and like what is true spirituality and like a true realization for you and how do you gauge yeah how do you gauge that i really don't like to feel pressured <laughs> um and like i say that about like people um not about like you know being in and i say that you know about people specifically in spiritual situations um not about like you know being at work and your boss telling you what to do obviously hmm. um well, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> obviously they're different. Um, but I would say, like, I do have uh, angst against authority that comes naturally to me. Um, I'd like to shout out to my Scottish heritage on that one. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, I really personally like time to digest things. Um, and, you know, I think you and I were friends um, when, you know, uh, some of us were going to church every Sunday and like pursuing that, you know, active, like religious experience. And um, it's a lot to take on in some ways. Like it's a lot to put yourself through because I mean, I'm a very emotional and like vulnerable um, I person and I like being that way um, because it makes 
it makes me able to really take those spiritual experiences full force, I think. Um, but at the same time, like, they're not always good. And uh, I've had to learn that the hard way, like a lot. And um, I haven't been to church in the last like year and a half. I went to um, my partner's family's church recently, just like for support. Um, and that was just kind of fun. Um, and I think I've, you know, grown enough of like a big grain of salt that I carry around with me as to where it was, it was okay. Um, and I could think objectively about the whole thing. But I, you know, I've been to church before where I'm just so overwhelmed by the spiritual experience that I just start crying. And then I'm like, oh, what does this mean? Like, am I supposed to be going back to church, you know? Um, and then I just, I just continue to like take time away from it. Um, and valid try to validate those thoughts of like you know i don't agree with a lot of what they're doing um and i don't you know in the same way we were just talking today about not supporting businesses like amazon who you know fuck people over consistently i don't want to support the catholic church who i think fucks people over consistently um and you know it's less about like oh do i see good things about the catholic ideologies and like people in catholic churches like yeah of course i do but at the same time like i don't want to be giving anything to this system and organization that i don't agree with um like i have that choice to be able to you know you know you decide whether you want to put your money in amazon or walmart or whatever and i think you can also decide I mean, churches ask for money too, but you can also decide where to put your spiritual energy. And like, I, you know, have come to value myself enough over time and, you know, know that I am, um, you know, a good person to have in a spiritual organization because um, I have good things to say, you know, um, that like, I just don't necessarily feel like I am putting myself to the best use when I am putting my energy toward that type of organization. Mm. And like, you know, I priests have said more interesting things to me than I can count um, that have really stuck with me. And like, you know, rabbi as well. Um, not rabbi in the, like, that's not a plural, like rabbi. <laughs> that's oh, a singular okay. rabbi. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, as a whole, I just really feel much safer, I think, um, leaning on the, the scattered, um, things that I do trust and know rather than this bigger thing that's out of my hands, I guess. Um, I love that. So I, I also listened recently to, uh, someone reading Civil Disobe Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, um, which if you're not familiar with it, is this essay by Henry Thoreau, who um, that basically, when he wrote it, he was talking about how like paying taxes to a government that supports slavery uh, is an unjust act. And like the right thing to do would be to break the law um, rather than support a machine that like 
imprisons human beings, which is kind of what, like you mentioned, we had talked about that is in as far as like, yeah, do I buy this like cheap item because it's good for my like checking account or, uh, do I realize that like, yeah, there's people living in, uh, wherever that are being like totally subjected by this system, like enslaved by a certain system um, by their own country. Yeah, and a lot of the times working for that like really low wage would uh is like the best option that we they have. But <laughs> yeah, so, so where's the breaking point on that system? That's kind of a tangent. Anyway, what I'm saying is like I want to reflect on your idea of like being this individual like so you you're tasked with the job of like figuring out what the hell to do in your life and that's not just you that's all of us and you can outsource that job and you can give that to an organization that's going to make that easier or faster for you <laughs> or you can take the skeptics route like you're talking about and like figure it out for yourself and uh i think that there's so many people like figuring shit out for themselves right now because all of these institutions have been like uh exposed basically as operating on things that we know obviously aren't good for people like maybe it's good for us us like certain people with access and ability to like benefit from these things in the short term but yeah, there's just really a lack of like love or regard for human life. And I think, a yeah, we're really having to figure things out, even, even to the point where you're like, I guess in your experience, you're being skeptical of these like small scale Christian organizations that you like, you're saying, yeah, you've heard a lot of good things from these people. And uh, like, they seem open and like vulnerable yet. Like, what does that mean to be in that organization and how is that benefiting people? I just, I kind of wonder what that means. Like on the, in the big picture, like if so many of us are, are like set on reevaluating to the point where we disengage from these systems, it's kind of a weird place to be as a society. And I mean, honestly, that builds me up to the bigger thing that I wanted to talk about here, which is, um, Nietzsche, because I love Nietzsche. Everyone should love Nietzsche <laughs> as much as I do. Um, and like, okay, so like Nietzsche has a bad rep as a nihilist, um, which is all, in a lot of ways not really who he was in the sense that people just throw his name around. Um, but I took this awesome existentialism class um, in college, and I forget the name of the professor. I think his name was David Sherman, so um, he was super cool. And uh, we talked about how, so like, you know, Nietzsche's famous quote is, God is dead. And um, people are like, oh, fuck you, you know, that's so depressing. Like, we don't want to think God is dead. Like, who would even say that? But I think he's pointing to, first of all, the fact that things are 
usually meant to be taken metaphorically, <laughs> first of all. Um, and second of all, that he saw the beginnings of this movement that we're talking about now where people are like, fuck the church, man. Like, they've done some really bad shit and they've screwed a lot of people over. They've killed a lot of people um, and they've covered up their tracks in a lot of ways that is really off-putting and not something a good Christian would do, to be quite frank. Routinely um, brainwashed children into feeling guilty if they don't believe in things or feel... Uh, heartbroken because they think their friends are going to hell and then the elephant in the room of like being raped and then made to feel like it was part of the religious experience or something mm -hmm. we can um, go on i suppose yeah <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> exactly and so um i mean i think nietzsche was seeing the beginnings of this falling out between the majority of the population um and this weird mutualistic relationship that they had with the church where they were leaning on them for like what you were saying for their spirituality um and for their moral compass and um and their for and their, for their community also because a lot of people go to religion for that reason um but then there was all this waking up of like wow the church is not a great group <laughs> um so like how do you reconcile that because people were really like leaning like and still do um on the church for all these different really important resources and so i think one thing that nietzsche talks about which i really value it really resonates with me is um this idea of a new morality um and i think that can be translated as well to a new spirituality um and it's like for the skeptics like you're saying for the people who are like yeah like it's bad yeah we can't just ignore that but like there are really good and important and valuable elements to the religious life and the religious experience so how do we justify those two things um because like you can't just ignore them on one hand you can't also be a crusader in the church i mean like it's just it that would be a very hard path to be on uh you would be essentially martyring yourself over and over again <laughs> Um, and who wants to do that? And, you know, that would not be a happy existence. Um, and then like, but how do you, how do you still foster those really important and valuable elements in the spiritual life and in morality? And like, you know, when you look at people lamenting over the fact that young people are leaving the church um there is some statistics i believe that correlate um not being a part of the church like young people leaving the church and also like not really having a sense of morality um and i'm kind of pulling that out of my ass so i could be wrong but i think that's what a lot of people in that conservative like protestant mindset they're scared they're like what kind of apocalypse are we feeding into by letting our young people um say fuck you to the church mm -hmm. because like the you know and i've heard this from a rabbi too like 
the fact that you want to do the subjective individual spirituality is inherently egotistical and you are like losing this whole support system that's there for you to support your morality and like you being a good person um and the fact that you think you can do it on your own is concerning and like kind of scary and like you should be scared and um you know that that sat with me when that person said that to me like really heavily and that wasn't a word for word um you know thing but it's like wow what if he's right you know <laughs> that's terrifying um and i think like that is why it's so important to be having conversations like this and be supporting a community that's like yeah there are things that are fucked up but we can't be part of those things um but we can recognize that there are a lot of really good things about that and so how do we move forward um with all of those pieces of knowledge um, yeah and like i did you see that video on the internet of that white guy with the beard who was like explaining why white pride is like not a thing are you talking about is it like an old man yeah uh i started watching it didn't finish it i just like i don't know i don't really watch many videos or do many things <laughs> uh, on the internet i don't do like the memes <laughs> I that video is really good. You should watch it, Stephen. Okay. Um, and part of what he was talking about is like you know white pride is not a thing. Um, but like Irish pride and Scandinavian pride and like those ethnicities are all prides that you can have. White pride is like a spiteful reaction to black pride, and black pride came from something that was actually very substantial. Um, because all black people were, you know, pulled together um, during, you know, the, the slavery period in America. Um, and so, you know, they, they have a right to have, you know, a, a pride for that um, experience and uh, and the civil rights movement. But I personally really strive for and pursue a connection with my own roots and i mean that's where like shamanism comes into play a little bit and like that is like we talked about kind of a heavy word um to be throwing around in people who are like you know somewhat versed in the spiritual community because people are like oh fuck you shamanism you're taking it from the native americans like that's cultural appropriation and um and you have to be really careful i think because I don't want to culturally appropriate. I do not want to add to the suffering of um, the Native American people. I think that they've been through enough and um, hopefully like very soon they're on their way on the up, you know? Um, yeah, or are currently. Yeah, and I, I think they are. Um, and I want to do the most that I can to support that. Um, and when you look at, you know, the Celts, uh, which I'm very Irish and Scottish, um, they are very deeply steeped in their own spirituality and their own mythology and their own, like, pagan, ancestral, um, 
rituals and perspectives and ways of doing things. And I don't think that necessarily fits perfectly um, with where I'm at and like in the society and culture that I live in now. Mm. But I think it is a chunk of it. And I think it's important um, in the same way that like, I am still Christian. Like I still own some parts of Christianity um, that makes sense to me. Like I sort of consider myself like an uh, anti-Christian. I believe the term is like a Tolstoy who was like, you know, um, most of the church and most of the people who claim to be Christians are not acting the way that Jesus Christ would. And they're feeding into politics and conflict and stupid shit that Jesus, like clearly from the stories in the Bible would be against. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only way that we can be really true Christians is by looking at the stories um, and thoughts of Jesus Christ that we have and trying to interpret them as honestly as possible. And then, you know, taking what we can morally from those things. And, um, I think like the beautiful thing about that and the beautiful thing about shamanism is that it really, and when, so when I refer to shamanism, like in this context, I'm referring to like core shamanism, which is in itself a controversial term, but it was coined by Mar Michael Harner in I believe the 1960s or 1970s. Um, and he's now passed a few years ago, but he started, he was an anthropologist and he started this movement of um, core shamanism, like sort of boiling down all of these practices that he saw all over the world from indigenous people and saying like, okay, these are the main elements of shamanism. How do we import this um, without culturally appropriating um, to the American people who seem to desperately need it at this time? And, uh, I think so the Michael Harner Foundation I'll just say uh goes out of its way to directly support shamanic traditions in other cultures and other uh countries um and uses a lot of its funding to try to um encourage those traditions to last because they are like native languages burning out at an alarming rate um people just aren't interested in learning their native traditions anymore um but at the same time, um, you know, it, I think it's such a important thing to foster all over the world. Um, but, you know, speaking as a white American, like, I think it's so relevant to white American spirituality and, you know, frankly, all American spirituality, because it's like fostering and making a space for that very direct individual intimate relationship with the spiritual you don't need a church you don't need um even like the internet like you know when you read some of this some of the literature about core shamanism it's like all you need is a drum or a recording of a drum and somewhere that you can take some time to yourself like an hour or whatever and you can do this like journeying this spiritual journeying into the spiritual realm um, to contact your spirit guides. And uh, it is a, like, I, I have gone on a couple journeys and it's a really intense experience. Um, it's a lot like a dream 
and you are sort of in this dream state where you're more open um, than you would, you know, normally be. And you're sort of more open in the ways that you're responding to things and um, you're letting yourself be taken um, to this place and into these situations where you are then confronted with these like sort of heavy spiritual truths. Um, and, you know, one of them, and I'll, I'll share with you because I think it's a really good one. Um, and it is personal to me, but it is also really universal at the same time as um, I was journeying in a class where they brought in a shaman. And that was like one of my first real um, face-to-face like experiences of this. Um, I sort of like journeyed um, in this dream world and then um, there was like this person who um, was of Native American um, uh, background as far as I could tell. Um, And you know a lot of it is a feeling more than anything as well. Um, And he just like looked at me and was just like don't be afraid. And I was like, I think I almost cried because it, it, you know, when you're that open and vulnerable, like in your life, and then, you know, even more so in that state, it's like, ah, you know, don't, don't be afraid. What fucking thing is that to say? Like, that's not even a thought that crosses your mind. It's just like, oh my God, my soul like needed to hear that at this point in time um and like you know no one else needs to know what it means but because of where i'm at and like my context and like you know the things that i'm thinking about on a daily basis like i needed to hear that and i think of it often um because you know it's just so meaningful to me like uh, i you know we live on native american land Um, it would be silly of me to think that I, you know, wouldn't experience some connection to, uh, the ancestors and like the spirits that lived on this land. Um, and it is sort of uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but at the same time, it's like, how do we're, we're facing all these questions of like, how do you fix this grotesque shit that's happening in the world? Um, I'm just one person, you know, and it gets very heavy sometimes. And like you were saying in my poem, it sounded like I was just sitting on a sidewalk with an existential crisis. And it's like, yeah, that happens a lot because there's a lot of existential crises that we can run into um, in this in this time, and especially like in our country. And um, I am open to whatever wisdom you know, I am blessed to be given. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that in any way that we can foster that like direct, you know, contact with spirituality, it relieves us of the need to um, lean on those organ- organizations and institutions that are fucking us over um and fucking other people over that we can't see and um at the same time like it's a it's a relief because it's like 
I can talk to God whenever I want. Like I can talk to my spirit guides whenever I want. I don't need anything material. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need to go anywhere. Um, sometimes it's nice to go into nature, but like really I can just like focus and get into that sort of trance state. And, um, and it becomes easier, far easier with practice. And then I can talk to these, you know, essential like beings and um, spiritual, you know, things like I, you know, I'm not sure what they are exactly. I'm not an expert, but um, it's like talking to your best friends. It's like these people you can trust um, and these, and these entities that you can trust to give you wisdom. And sometimes it's not going to be it's not going to feel good. Like it's mm. not going to be nice. Um, and that's why it, it helps to like immerse yourself in the literature around it um, to be careful. But uh, it's, it's just so nice to be, you know, we have all this confusing news all the time and things that people are saying all the time. That's so polarized and it really helps to just sometimes be like, fuck everything. Like, what do I need? And like, if I can't even figure out what I need, then like talking to these things that are there to help me like figure it all out, I guess. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so much <laughs> that no, 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 not in a bad way either. Like that is, that's a lot. Like you took me on a, a journey right there and I felt <laughs> like I felt really compelled by a lot of what you were saying. And I think just like in response, what I'll first try to do is like, I, I could ask you like, what do you mean by spirit guides? What do you mean by God? Like, what do you mean by all these things? And like you and I know each other quite well. And for like the skeptics or people who are just not going to like understand where you're coming from, let me, I will like say what I felt like you meant by those sorts of things. And I'll start by saying like, having worked in the field of psychology and like worked with a lot of kids and you're in these conversations and like, you know what the fuck they need, right? A lot of the time you're like, this kid obviously like has to realize this thing about himself before he can like improve. And uh, it's not that easy. You could tell them over and over every single day their problems. And that's probably not going to do anything but traumatize them. Um, and so when you're talking you about shake them, <laughs> yeah <laughs> kidding uh so when you're talking about like talking to your quote spirit guides or talking to god um it just makes me think of this thing like what we try to do with people that have like a problem that there's an answer to is just like guide them down a path until they can realize because of all of their like analysis or their consideration of this topic or just like having it be so blatantly in their face over and over again that they have this realization that like oh shit like i am being a complete egomaniac or even just like having the having the ability to have like a holistic realization like um, and I think that's what you're talking about with the, like, don't be afraid, right? I think a lot of us 
I mean, our parents and like mentors tell us cliches all the time as we're growing up. And it's only until we learn them through experience, at least in my experience, it's only until you learn it through experience that you're like, wow, that cliche is true. That's not like that, like all you need is love, right? John Lennon, like that song can be so hokey if you just like, if you listen to it on any given day, but like, if you really give meaning to that, those words, like if you give them the open and vulnerable, like that reverence that it takes to like actually understand something in its fullest capacity, at least in the fullest capacity that you can understand it, then like, it's only then when you can have that like learning experience. And, uh, so I guess like to, to, to let people know how like I am understanding you, it's that like you're talking about these things which are like very real and like very experienceable by any person. And it's not like you're going out there and you're like contacting like supernatural beings outside of like what what one might experience or could experience in their daily life. Like these are, these are practices that people can have. And it sounds like the truths that you're getting from them are almost akin to like what we know of as conscience or like, uh, just like intuition in a way. It's very, it's, it's a really hard thing because this is something I'm really interested in is like, where is truth in your mind and then where's truth in the objective reality and like when those don't match up that's and i i think like a big part of like this new age spirituality and especially especially with skeptics um is like it doesn't matter i think to a certain extent it's like if it's helping you and you can't see any evidence for it harming you or other people um, like, I don't know if these things are like real and could be, you know, picked up by machines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that I, I've seen it and I know that I felt it and I know that it had an impact on me, um, that really, you know, regardless of how it felt in the moment, um, made me a better person. Yeah. <sighs> And I, I think I tend to agree with you. Um, and I think that's how evolution has happened, right? Like things either work or they don't. And like, if they don't work, you're going to die anyway. So, <laughs> but I, I do think there's a huge benefit to like being as objective as we can about these practices and like having studies that say like, is this a good thing or is this not helping people out? Um, the Michael Harner Foundation has a really cool website, and um, he's written a few books also to uh, The Way of the Shaman and a couple other ones. Um, and his like whole thing when he was alive was to document these experiences as much as possible. Um, and he had an acronym for them. I forget what it was, but it was something like Alternative Conscious Experiences. Um and it was just meant to like compile data essentially of all of these different 
things that people experienced while pursuing this type of spirituality. So I guess I want to ask you again, I guess maybe just for your definition of spirituality, like what does that mean for you? Um, well, when I was in college, we talked about holistic health. Um, and I am a big believer in holistic health. And I think that we talk about physical health and mental health. And um, we also need to talk about spiritual health. And I think it is one of those taboo subjects um, where people are like, ah, you know, you, you always hear that phrase of like, never talk about politics or religion with your family. Mm -hmm. And I hate that because <laughs> they're so essential. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's like, you know, you can't just, I mean, you can just avoid it really. And I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, but if you can find a way to bridge the gap um, and talk with people about, especially your loved ones, about things that really matter to you um, and find some common ground, I think is the most important thing. Um, it is really relationship building. Uh, that was kind of off topic, but um I think like spiritual health, like people talk about spiritual bodies and, you know, sort of that far out shit. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but um, I think like for the common person, for the everyday Joe that's never, you know, delved into spirituality, um, it's worth, you know, just Googling like spiritual health and some things come up like, questions to ask yourself like do you feel like you have a purpose in life um do you feel like you are connected to the people around you and um to the world around you and do you feel like what you're doing is meaningful on a daily basis um and all of these things if you're answering yes are feeding into your spiritual health and if you're answering no then they're draining you of your spiritual health and I think your spiritual health is a very important component of your overall health. Um, I think you can, you know, when people talk about having all the money you need and like everything looks great on paper, you got the job, you got, you know, the girlfriend or whatever, um, but you don't feel like you have a purpose and you don't feel like what you're doing regularly is meaningful. Like, I can't tell you how many people I've had conversations with where they're like, um, I don't like what I'm doing and it kind of bothers me. Um, or like, I don't agree with what other people are saying and like what the purpose of what we're doing is. And like, that really bothers me. Um, and I mean, you, you see it all the time. And I think to, it's sort of this thing that's taken for granted by some people um, and also like desperately needed by some people. And I don't think there's a lot of ways to bridge that conversation um, so that we can actually talk about it and help the people who desperately need it mm. um, to you know, have some of these realizations that will then allow them to make different decisions. Um, and regardless of whether you have like a spiritual body um, it seems like in the pie chart of your overall health, spiritual health is a 
significant chunk of it and to just ignore that um, or make decisions that, you know, feed into the other parts but directly go against your spiritual health is really undermining. And, um, you know, while I'm on the subject, I think that there's a lot of suicide in our country. There's a very, a lot of very high suicide rates that are very concerning, especially among young people. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially among young people who struggle to be accepted uh, for who they are, like specifically the LGBTQ community um, and also minority people who feel like the world is against them probably. Um, And to me, it's like those you know, people may be more sensitive to spirituality in a way that we have gotten really good at ignoring um, for the people who are successful in this system. And uh, it isn't good for any of us. And um, I think to ignore those, to ignore those populations in our country and our system is akin to ignoring that slice of the pie chart in our um, our own personal health. And both of them are like kind of fucked up. And I think that's a lot of, of what people are trying to say right now um, in politics is like, look at us, like, look at, look at this. We're ignoring this and it's not okay. Um, you can say all the superficial bullshit about like the values of your company or, or the government for that matter. But like, unless you're, really taking action to try to understand this very misunderstood and, um, you know, part of us that is not looked at or taken seriously enough, like we're missing out. Not only are we, you know, um, not serving those people um, and those parts of ourselves, but we're actively uh, kind of disparaging them. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like we we know about so many problems. Like we know there's a problem with suicide. We know there's a problem with obesity and like drugs and all of these. Like there's so many problems where it seems like people are just chasing meaning. And uh, and yeah, it, it makes sense that like taking the res- like finding the ability to have to take on the responsibility of like finding out what's right for your life and like what kind of meaning and truths you can live by it seems like that's probably the first step for most people in living a life that uh leads in a positive direction and I don't know. It seems like a pretty good solution for a lot of our problems if we can like have people first commit to like taking on meaning in their lives. I think it's like probably like from what you were just saying, it just came into mind like when people are fulfilled, they're more likely to like make positive change. And um, I think like that speaks pretty loudly of like that idea that yeah like we can't make a huge difference in like the carbon output and shit like that but you know if we are making a difference by say like 
trying new things that are better for the environment and not supporting companies that, you know, disparage communities and, um, and all that stuff. Like we can then serve as role models for other people. Um, and with that, like you can make change because that's, that's the community level of change. That's like a basic part of, um, political movements and, you know, then communities can serve as role models for other communities. And, um, I think it comes back to that, like carrot in the soup idea. It's like, you know, you, if you put a shit ton of curry on a carrot and then put it in the soup, like your soup's going to taste like curry, you mm-hmm. know, even if it's just, the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I get it. The, uh, you're the carrot, you're the soup. And the spice is the like attitude of the soup, the spiritual perspective. I I love this conversation and I think that we have way more to talk about. Yeah, we should have another podcast together. I'd like to invite you to like close this one out by first answering my question of like what are some what are things that you have learned like that you feel would be a good a good thing to share with others who may be struggling with what we're talking about. Um, yeah. And then maybe if you want to close out with a poem, I feel kind of weird, like giving advice just because like, I don't feel like I'm in the best place myself, Hmm. but, um, and I don't want to pretend like I'm not. Um, but I mean, one thing I think about is like, that even when there's hard times like it it always makes me think about what we have done in the good times and like the progress that we've made and the building blocks that we've uh put energy into in the good times and like you know one thing that comes to mind is that like we've been friends for like four years at least probably i think so yeah and like we've both probably seen each other in uh spots that aren't great (laughs) but like also like we get to have this conversation right now and um it is really hard for me to be positive sometimes um but like i'm really grateful for uh us doing this i've been really excited about it and um I would just say like, you know, I would have never anticipated this, you know, podcast even from happening and this conversation happening like four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think like when it comes down to it, like no matter who you are and no matter what your situation is, um, it's making me a little emotional, but uh, I think like following your intuition and like going out of your way to spend time with good people that make you feel good about yourself um and like letting go of those judgments like no matter how strong and heavy they are sometimes uh is really important and um and I think that those are the sort of building blocks that I'm talking about um that will support you know in in the bad times and I think that sort of comes into play with the whole neutrality of the situation of like, yeah, there's always going to be good times and there's always going to be bad times. And like, no matter how much money you make or how much 
spiritual progress you make, like there's always going to be bad times. And um, I guess like being able to sit back sometimes and, and be grateful for and like see that uh, the things that you've made um, is really cool. And it's like a silver lining in the whole, you know, um, weight of the existential circles that we can all fall prey to sometimes. Hmm. Validating your, validating your experience. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we have this heavy conversation, but then also like, we talked about just like how we are before we started this podcast and like just connected about things and like. That's cool. <laughs> um, do you want me to read the poem? Yeah, let's read the poem. Okay. Uh, I love and hate this poem, which was, uh, it was actually validating to hear that this was your favorite poem um, because like, I really like it, but also I feel like it's kind of cliche mm. um, and almost aggressive in a way. <laughs> where I could like see it hanging on like a wall of a Karen's house. Um, and I'm like, I don't, um, <laughs> but I, I think it like really speaks to me in a personal way and I'm glad it feels that way for you too. And so I'll, I'll read it. Love me different. Love me strong. Love me like you'll die if you don't. Love me like yourself and no one else. Love me wherever your mind goes. Love the space between us. Love our waitress. Love yourself. Love the way things fall into place when you love everything. Love your friends like they are your tribe and your blood. Love the stranger as a Buddha and a lesson. Love your parents as the tree from which you came. Love all children like you are a witness and guide of their divine potential. Love the words you choose and the thoughts they cultivate. Love the strife in the world as you would a dead dog. Love hard work like it's your opportunity constantly for salvation. 